It's not every day that your boss offers you $150 to murder somebody. I think we can all agree that's not a normal occurrence. But then again, the tough kid wasn't normal. He was quiet, tall for his age, and to be honest, a little weird. An old soul who spent too much time alone up in the hills, with no one to talk to but his rifle. And it wasn't just the solitude. While the world around him was marching boldly towards the future from the gilded age to the progressive, the tough kid was more drawn to the old ways. And those old ways weren't found in no classroom. Not that he was unable to read or cipher, he could. He just had a hard time explaining it. Make no mistake, the tough kid was far from stupid. Despite his lack of a formal education, he was sharp and had a near photographic memory. But most of all, he was tough. And he came from a tough stock. His father had chased Comanche once upon a time up on the Llano, under McKenzie. And his grandfather before him, as a trader down in Old Mexico. A job that earned him an arrow to the head and a short stint as a captive. But he survived. And while there were no more wild Indians around for the tough kid to carry on that particular family tradition, that didn't stop him from forming a youthful obsession with the natives as he attempted to imitate their ways. He learned to walk silently through the forest, how to stalk and track animals and mimic their calls, and how to make every bullet count. And just like the Native Americans he so admired, the tough kid didn't need a church to worship his God his way. He built a kind of altar there in the forest, so he could talk to what he referred to as the old master. Which, as odd as it sounds, isn't that unbelievable, considering he did have plans to one day become a preacher. But when the tough kid wasn't conversing with the Almighty, he was mostly honing his skills as a woodsman. He even became damn near as proficient with a blade as he was with a long gun. Matter of fact, he took to hunting armadillos with nothing but his bowie knife. Said they tasted like a fine-grained, high-quality pork. And I think I'm just going to have to take his word on that one. Above all else, though, with all that time in the great outdoors, the tough kid was acquiring the patience that comes with being a hunter. A skill that would serve him well later in life as he transitioned to stalking a different type of prey, of the two-legged variety. But that was a few years to come. For now, the tough kid was just a kid. A mere boy of 16 years. A boy who, when he wasn't out in the woods hunting and pretending to be an Indian, could often be found working in his father's blacksmith shop, sweating over the bellow and forge, cussing and swinging a hammer and building up manna in heaven. Or, depending on the time of the year, you might could find the tough kid working another man's field as a sharecropper. Labor that he and his little brother would often perform to earn a little bit of extra cash for the family. That's how he first came to meet Mr. McSween, for it was his fields the kid was working when the old man offered him $150 to do the devil's work. A proposal that the kid initially assumed was a joke, sarcastically asking who he had to kill for that kind of money. He soon realized it was no laughing matter, however, when mean old Mr. McSween upped the price to an even 200. Turns out he had a beef with a nearby rancher. One the man taken care of, and he figured this tough youngster would be up for the job. An incorrect assumption on his part, as the kid essentially told the old man to go to hell. And what's more, said he was going to warn the rancher of the nefarious plans. You say anything about this to anyone, I'll kill you, warned McSween. But like I keep saying, the kid was tough, and this aged malcontent didn't scare him any. In fact, he rode his horse over to that rancher's house the very next day, warned the man to watch his back. By the way, lest you scoff at the measly sum of $200, that equates to over 6000 in today's currency. More money than the kid had ever seen. And more than enough to have most nearly anyone killed, even nowadays. The tough kid might not have been scared, but he shouldn't have just brushed off the incident either. If mean old Mr. McSween was willing to shell out that kind of dinero, his threats had to be taken seriously. A lesson that the tough kid learned the hard way a few days later, when McSween caught up with him and unloaded a shotgun into his back. And we ain't talking birdshot. It was six rounds of buckshot that tore through the young man's back and the side of his head. That might kill most men, but like I keep saying, the kid was tough. 
and although horribly wounded, he did have the presence of mind to pull his revolver and return fire, striking old man McSween at least once and sending him running for home. With the help of his little brother, the kid made it to the tree line, and then, with the help of a black field hand, was able to get to a doctor. Taking a load of buckshot is no small thing. Even the doc advised the kid's father that he wouldn't make it. He'd simply lost too much blood. But the physician underestimated the tough kid. Not only did he make it, but he went on to live a long, full life. He got married, had kids, his kids had kids, and he himself ended up in the history books. The tough kid by the name of Francis Augustus, called Gus by his parents, grew up to be a tough man known to the world as Frank Hamer, the Texas Ranger who took down Bonnie and Clyde. I'm sure many of you listening have heard some version of this story already, about how the tough kid squared things in the end with Mr. McSween. You may have even heard Kevin Costner say it, who played Hammer in the excellent 2019 movie, The Highwayman. The story, as it's often repeated, goes that once the kid was all healed up, he paid Mr. Daniel McSween a visit. When the old man saw him, he said something along the lines of, Thought I finished you. To which Hamer replied, I've come to settle accounts. Legend has it that they then both went for their guns, and, well, like I said, Frank Hamer lived a long life. Cool story, and I hate to be that guy, but... It's more than likely not true, at least not that particular ending. Hamer did spend a lot of time alone hunting in the hills of central Texas for weeks at a time. He was a hell of a shot. He could track, mimic calls. He did work his father's blacksmith shop, the whole nine yards. And McSween did offer Frank money to dip into those dark arts back around the year 1900. And Hamer did turn him down, which resulted in him taking that shotgun blast to the back that almost killed him. Only thing is, young Frank never did return to Mr. McSween's place to set things right. In reality, his family sent him out west for his own protection, you know, just fearing a second attempt by the mean old man. Thus, the tough kid concluded his recovery on a ranch in Pecos County, Texas, a spread owned by the Ketchum family, friends of his parents. And yes, these Ketchums were kin to the famous outlaw, Black Jack Ketchum. And once Hamer was well enough, he began working the ranch, herding livestock. He got to know the border country, how to cowboy, and oddly enough, how to play the fiddle. In short, Frank's time on the ranch was a type of finishing school for the tough kid who, instead of becoming a preacher, took to wearing a badge. Five years after nearly being killed by McSween's shotgun, Frank Hamer tracked down and apprehended a horse thief there in West Texas. A year later, he joined up with the Rangers, and the rest is history, I guess. You know, Frank Hamer really is legendary, and he's one of those guys whose life story doesn't require any of us to spice it up. It's plenty exciting as is. But just like everyone else I cover on this podcast, it's often very hard to separate the man from the myth. And don't get it twisted, Frank Hamer has reached mythical proportions in Texas. By the way, I'm by no means any type of expert on the man. Uh, This story of his first gunfight is the most I've ever researched when it comes to Frank Hamer. Other than this, I know all the same stuff as everybody else. Famous Texas Ranger, involved in a lot of gunfights, helped hunt down and kill Bonnie and Clyde. And while Frank Hamer wasn't exactly a Wild West lawman, he was a throwback to that era. He got his start at a time when Texas Rangers were adapting from the horse to the automobile, from catching rustlers to going after gangsters. Uh, real quick, speaking of Bonnie and Clyde, I saw their car in person once. I was a little kid and it was on display at this festival. That sucker is riddled with bullets. I actually got to stick my finger in one of them. It's kind of weird. Definitely not the weirdest thing I've ever stuck my finger in, though. Believe you me. Uh, I do sometimes wonder if that was the real car or just some replica they shipped from town to town. No idea. But back to Frank. Turns out that story of him killing McSween was just something that his brother Harrison made up years later. And since it sounds cool, it's stuck and still gets repeated to this day, both in print and on film. It's a story I first read about in an article aptly titled, 
Frank Hamer's First Gunfight by Mark Boardman. I emailed Mark, and he was kind enough to point me in the direction of the book, Texas Ranger, The Epic Life of Frank Hamer, The Man Who Killed Bonnie and Clyde, by John Bosnecker. And from what I understand, it was John Bosnecker who uncovered the truth of what really went down, how Daniel McSween ended up dying of natural causes a few years later in Kaufman, Texas. I'm currently listening to the audio version of Bosnecker's book, and I did use it as a primary source for this episode. And so far, it's pretty damn good. By the way, I will link to this book in this episode's show notes, as well as to any articles I reference. A couple more things on Frank Hamer before I end this episode. What do I always say? History is complicated, and the esteemed Frank Hamer is no exception. I mentioned the black sharecropper who helped save Frank's life after he got gunned down. Hamer would later go on to declare that this field hand was his best friend, saying, quote, that man caused me to be living today, end quote. And supposedly this was a favor that Hamer never forgot. And this was a time when race relations weren't exactly at their best in the state of Texas. Nevertheless, in the 1920s, Hamer worked in opposition against the Ku Klux Klan, putting his life at risk and stopping over a dozen lynchings of African Americans, at least according to some sources that I read. And this was when a whole lot of black people were getting strung up just for being black. And a whole bunch of white people, including lawmen, were turning the blind eye to it. But not Frank Hamer. However, I would be remiss if I failed to mention that there are some who aren't so convinced that Hamer was the most open-minded when it came to racial equality, at least not when it came to serving and protecting. I stumbled across an article from the Washington Post I thought I'd share, just in the name of fairness and, you know, because I do enjoy a little bit of controversy every now and then. The March 31st, 2019 article titled, How the Highwaymen Whitewashes Frank Hamer and the Texas Rangers, was written by Monica Munoz Martinez assistant professor of American studies at Brown University, author of the book The Injustice Never Leaves You and Anti-Mexican Violence in Texas, and co-founder of the nonprofit group Refusing to Forget. And in this article, Martinez writes about how Hamer's, quote, classic Texas story doesn't push back on the white, masculine, Wild West mythology that Texans cling to, end quote. I'm paraphrasing here, but she says that the Texas Rangers in particular have a long history of racial violence targeting Native Americans, ethnic Mexicans, and African Americans, Frank Hamer included. Martinez goes on to write that in Hamer's time, a lot of abuses took place, such as denying due process, torturing prisoners, and even outright murder. And Texas Ranger Frank Hamer played a significant role in undermining investigations into these matters, to the point he even tried intimidating witnesses. And while I haven't finished John Bosnecker's book, I am curious to learn more about Frank's life and see if any of these allegations are touched on. A quick Google search came up with an article from the Houston Chronicle where Bosnecker is quoted as saying that Frank Hamer's biggest defect was his temper, citing an incident where the Texas Ranger did physically assault a journalist. However, the author goes on to say that the moral courage Hamer displayed in saving 15 African Americans from the lynch mobs or in opposing the Klan outweighed all the bad-tempered things that he did. So like I said, I'm not an expert in all things Frank Hamer. I'm also not a history revisionist, like I said last episode, and I'm not taking any particular side in this. I just thought I'd throw out both point of views and take them as they are. You know, some people like to take a guy like Frank Hamer and shit all over him, make him out to be some sort of violent, corrupt, foaming-at-the-mouth racist, while others will put him up on a pedestal as the perfect picture of law and order and all things virtuous. But I'm kind of of the belief that we can both admire the good things these historical figures did, while at the same time condemning the bad that we don't have to highlight one aspect while ignoring the other. But that's just me. What do y'all think? Email me at bloodybeaverpodcast at gmail and let me know. Fun fact, 
on that movie, The Highwaymen. If you ever get a chance to rewatch it, pay close attention to the ambush scene. It was filmed on location in the exact spot where the real-life showdown took place. The now-paved road was covered in dirt to replicate the original look, at least according to an article that I found on USA Today from back in March of 2019. All right, y'all, that's all I've got for today. Thank you for listening. If you're new to Bloody Beaver Podcast, my name is Josh. I'm the host, and what you just heard was what I like to call a Bloody Beaver Quickie. If you'd like to hear some more, please head on over to bloodybeaver.com, where you'll find a plethora of Wild West topics to choose from. Or subscribe wherever you listen to audio, except for SoundCloud, because I'm a grown man and not a 17-year-old aspiring mumble rapper. While you're over there at bloodybeaver.com, please hit that contact button and shoot me an email. Or just email me directly at bloodybeaverpodcast at gmail.com with any topic, suggestions, complaints, corrections, or recipes. If you like what you hear, tell somebody. Don't be stingy. Share the beaver. Stop what you're doing right now and send a link to this episode to somebody. Preferably an enemy, but anyone will do. Next episode will be a full-length one. I've got some good uh, topics coming up that I'm really excited about, so please stay tuned. And remember, if a grumpy old sharecropper tries to hire you to murder someone, do not turn your back to him. All right, y'all, stay black. <laughs>